0: You listening to Trek FM?
1: Breaker to Captain Picard. Go ahead, number one. May I see you in the observation lounge, sir? I'll be right there.
0: This seems to be some kind of meeting place. Some kind of meeting, some, some, some kind of meeting place.
2: Could you walk? Might be I don't think they're going to let us in, Artu. We'd better go.
3: Maybe we better talk out here at the observation line just turned into a swamp.
0: Arturo, wait! Oh dear!
2: Arturo! Arturo, I really don't think we should rush into all this! Oh!
1: This is the Observation Lounge for the week of November 10th, 2012. Look at the numbers, a little drunk. I'm Greg Harbin. With me today is Drew Stewart from Cinetropolis.net and also the Trek FM TOS editor. Welcome, Drew. Hey, Greg. Welcome. And also Michael Fisher, friend of the show and also from Pocketnow.com and the Pocketnow Weekly. Welcome, Michael. Pleasure to step foot in the Observation Lounge, Greg. Good to see you. Thank you, thank you. So last week of course was our big blowout Disney Star Wars Extravaganza, which I do hope everyone enjoyed. I certainly did. It was a a relief to get those thoughts all out of my head.
2: Yeah, definitely it was nice to uh for you to provide the platform from which I could stand on my soapbox and
1: right. Get angry as, for an hour. As I tweeted it was like all the podcasters I know. Well, what 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 did I say? It's as if all the podcasters screamed out in terror and suddenly, and was suddenly published silenced. a podcast <laughs> yes. well, <they> podcast. because <laughs> all of them had like emergency session podcasts. I'm the only one I know who actually started a podcast to talk about Star Wars, but nevertheless, it was a very important thing. So I, w- I want to touch on that briefly today. Uh, Drew, ha- have your thoughts on Disney owning Lucasfilm shifted at all over the past week? Well, well thanks to the the podcast and listening to it
2: again while I was setting out all of my vintage toys it uh, <laughs> I, I am a lot calmer now I, I can okay. <laughs> see the the benefits but they have to announce some really good news like on writer and director and all that kind of stuff before I get too excited so I'm still right. cautious and f- realizing that Fox owns the rights to the originals I'm not sure. If that's a good thing for the restoration of the original theatrical versions or yeah. a bad thing, that still remains to be seen. But I'm a lot calmer.
1: Oh, that's good. Thankfully, there is a version of the originals that you can get that yes. uh, does yeah, I'm, preserve... I'm somewhat involved in. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, c- thankfully, those fan edits do exist. And if people really, really want them, uh, they're still able to grab them it does seem like this Disney announcement's more about future films than bringing back restorations of the old films, which is unfortunate, I think. Uh, yeah.
3: You, you posted uh, a photo on Twitter, didn't you, Greg, of of uh, one of your kind of hand-labeled fan edits? Um, no, my
2: my hand-labeled.
3: Yeah. Sure. No. Was... He posted it cuz I <laughs> mailed it to him. Oh, you mailed? Oh, this was a uh, USPS inter-office exactly. delivery.
1: That was a Star Wars D de- de- specialized edition.
3: Uh, th- yeah, that's right. That, yes, I, I remember seeing that. Now, well, good for the both of you for making that happen. As I was saying on uh, the other side of the lounge, I guess uh, <laughs> I, I, I have not yet heard an episode of um,
1: the Observation Lounge, so this is all new to me. This is okay, wonderful. Okay. Well, well, Michael, let me get real quick your just spur the moment thoughts on on Disney buying Lucasfilm and, and the thoughts of what this means for the future.
3: Yeah, so, uh, you know, I watched this reaction kind of sweep across the internet before I knew what was happening, and I saw Princess Leia as a, as a you know, with this meme font under her that says, <laughs> I'm a Disney princess. And I'm like, well, I don't right. understand. And then as the day progressed, and I saw more and more in my Facebook and Twitter, I was like, oh, I understand. I should look at the news. <laughs> and then I saw that Disney had bought Lucasfilm and ILM and all this stuff. And I was like, oh. And, you know, I saw kind of the instant fear and the instant re- revolt and, and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I don't really like a lot of stuff that Disney puts out. Um, I, I, it, It's not really my bag as a company. But I also just went back and thought about the last three Star Wars films that I had seen. And I, it, it can't get any worse. <laughs> um, there was an article on, on Cracked, uh, which, you know, which was just hilarious. So, you know, seven reasons you shouldn't hate the new Star Wars or five reasons or whatever. And I was like, yeah, um, the, the, the one that is most relevant to me is that it, I didn't like any of the prequels, really, uh, once I left the theater anyway. Um, and yeah. I, I think that uh, this could be a really good thing. I think the saddest part about it for me was that Disney now owns ILM, which has, have been a group of, like, my heroes for a very long time, thanks to their work on Star Trek. Um,
1: right. Well, you know. I, my my understanding is Disney's planning on still letting uh, letting ILM be a free agent. That they're not planning on swallowing them up and only using. Them. I mean, they've yeah. they've been using ILM I, I've read for that years. Too. I,
3: it's just that you know I've I cover you know mobile technology, and it's like yeah. every time you see a statement like that, it's like yeah, you know, yeah, we're going to yeah. let them. We're we're <laughs> we're, obtain, we're you know acquiring them, but they're going to operate as an autonomous unit, and yeah, you know, it's going to be great. Everyone, don't worry, it's going to be fine whatever. It never works out that way. Like (laughs) I'm a jaded Palm fanboy as well. So, you know, I have no, no, and I I survived the sprint Nextel merger as an employee. So, Mm. you know, I have, I don't like mergers. Um, right. So I, you know, I, but, but Greg, I take your point officially. Yes. That, that they have said that.
1: Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, if, if it turns out that Star Trek into darkness is not done by ILM and instead done by like digital domain or something, I will be a little annoyed. Um, well, ILM is obviously the best out there, and
3: and and Digital Domain is
1: under bankruptcy protection. Well, yeah, Digital really? Domain's. I yeah. I shouldn't even use them as the example anymore. Who who's the the new second? The, the new I mean, I guess Weta, size, like, but I Weta. think Weta, is Weta really doing other people's projects? I feel like you have to kind of take Peter Jackson out to dinner. Yeah, I think you use I think Weta it's more of a day. friend
2: of Peter Jackson kind yeah. of thing, but. But oh, okay. they definitely yeah. are on par with ILM. I mean,
1: Zoic's out there, uh, digital. What is it? Double Neg. What, what about is the, doing stuff? Is the Post
3: Group still around? I know they're they're like Pacifico oh, Post becomes the Post Group or something. I don't know. I, this oh, okay. is all from credits yeah. that I watched as a kid. Right.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a few houses out there, but nobody's as big as ILM. Nobody can really handle a whole movie like ILM can. So it'll be interesting to see if they don't do like Transformers. Although Disney's talking about buying Hasbro. Let's not talk about that. No. <laughs> um, so Buy everything.
3: Be corporations.
1: Uh, why not? Well, there, there is actual news about this that's broken today. So here What's here we this? are Ooh. into the news part of the show. Um, it's not, well, it's not news, but it's a rumor that Michael Arndt has written a 40 page treatment for the new trilogy. Now, he is the screenwriter of Little Miss Sunshine and Toy Story 3 no way yeah now he's 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 also written the hunger games um, catching fire and he this will make uh chris jones happy he's also written the upcoming phineas and ferb feature film (laughs) so and there's and there's a pixar film he's written as well um it's sort of like a um what is that what is the name of that that movie where they sort of take a sub inside the body like uh, uh, inner space inner space yeah right so pigs are sort of making inner space knockoff so he's written that <laughs> as well so he's one of these disney guys but the idea is he's written a treatment and he's probably going to write episode seven at least the first draft of it
2: yeah but a rumor of somebody writing a treatment isn't anything like i could write a 40 page treatment
1: well the idea is he wrote this in the past few months like basically to set up the deal. Like they presented this to, to George and said, look, this is what we want to oh. do with it. But he I said, thought the okay. deal was
2: that Lucas wrote the treatment and that was why <laughs> Disney bought them. And now we're saying that <sighs> Lucasfilm let
1: Disney buy them because they have a treatment. Well, see, here's the what lies I, I, wa- I, I, I want to see. The way around. <laughs> I want to see the book. I want to see the book on this. Cause I know there have been meetings. Like we know Lucas has met with, with, um, with the big three, um, Mark and Carrie and Harrison about doing seven, eight, nine. Like we're hearing that now, obviously this has been in the works for a while. We know there have been a million meetings between Bob Iger and George Lucas and various other people. And I want to know how that really went down. Like what did Disney have to do to prove that they were the right people for the job? What did George have to give them? to prove that he wasn't just BSing about having ideas for seven right. and Nine. So it's possible right. that aren't sat down with George, you know, for, you know, a week and a half and they just hashed it out and ended up with this treatment. Well, wow. the,
2: the last rumor I saw was that, that some secret project that Disney bought like three years ago was going yeah. to be the next star Wars. But now that they have star Wars, it was going to be star Wars, but it was like, yeah written by Damon Lindelof and going to be directed by Brad Bird
1: or somebody. Right. That's a... What is it? Project... It's like 1952 or something. Yeah, 1953, 1952, it, something like that. 53, right. Yeah, that and that, that's cool. the other question. I, yeah, I'd love to see Brad Bird direct. Um, there's also been a rumor that Matthew Vaughn dropped out of... What is it? Days of Future Past, the new X-Men first class film, uh, that he dropped out of it to do this. I... I
2: I can imagine
1: that, that all of these rumors
2: are true. Right. I mean, because... Everybody's got to be jumping all over this. Lucas has finally given up the franchise, and yeah. I'm sure that there there are dozens of directors just like, I will do whatever it takes. I mean, because this is the movie that got them exactly into what they're doing and the opportunity to actually do it. I just I don't know if I'd be so presumptuous. Even if I was a a quasi successful director, I still wouldn't feel that I. Deserved the Star Wars franchise, but
1: I think I think it's going to be the first one is going to be the big thing. Like, who are they going to give the very first one to? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's going
3: to set the tone. That's going to set the style. Exactly.
1: Yeah, right. Because he's going to be the guy who's going to have to cast it. You know, Mm -hmm. decide whether um, Luke and Leia and Han are in it. Decide who it is that's that's playing these new characters, and even more than that, set the as you say, set the tone. What does the world look like post Jedi? And that's going to have huge implications on the rest of the trilogy and on the movies they make going forward. The guy who makes the second one isn't really going to have as much work to do. So I think they will be less worried about that. It's going to be just, you know, kind of who wants to do this, who has new ideas to bring into it. But this first guy, it's going to be a really big deal. If they bring in somebody like I'm worried about it being Joe Johnston, who is a fine director, but he also made Jurassic Park three. And,
3: Is that the one where the dinosaurs are running around in LA or is that the. No, that, that that's the two? second one. That's the second Spielberg.
1: one. The second one is, has problems. Yeah. And it's part of why I kind of worry about Spielberg getting one of these. Uh, but the third one. Spielberg did AI I, too, didn't he? I yeah. I like AI. I've, I've had enough of that, man. <laughs>
3: we'll have to have a Spielberg <laughs> episode of this show. Here's, here's
1: my thing Spielberg will probably make one. Joss Whedon will probably make one. Brad Bird will probably make one. The question is who makes the first one? And I think that's a that's a big question, I, and I don't think Disney knows yet. Hmm. As long as they don't aren't like, well, we can't really find anybody. George, why don't you
2: take care of? Oh, me? George is like, oh well, I guess I will. I'll come out of retirement again. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> right. Oh, it, it's
3: like I said before. I mean, it, as long as it's anybody but George, I feel like unless right. they get Stuart Baird in there, like it has to be oh, better, God. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. They're gonna are gonna digitally
2: lower Chewbacca's voice. Chris made that joke. Um, no, really. On the last episode, yeah. <laughs> At oh, first, man. I was like, "Yeah, he directed a star. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Get Jonathan Frakes in. That could be interesting. Oh Ooh. Man.
3: that would be great. <laughs> I love Jonathan Frakes. I just finished reading the whole next behind the scenes of Next Generation book, that that big coffee table book by uh, Oh, nice Paula Block and and um, uh, I don't remember the other author. author. I'm sorry, I'm a bad uh, trekker. But um, I I feel so reconnected with the whole Next Generation cast. And you bring up Jonathan Frakes, I'm like, oh.
1: Two takes, yeah. frakes. We love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. I just got delivered. I know we're not supposed to talk about Star Trek, but I just got Star Trek's one through ten, the Blu-rays. Yes. Wow. And I'm so excited. Yes. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna watch them through. But First Contact has frakes on the cover. I'm just like, well, this isn't really a, a Riker film. Whatever. But it is a frakes <laughs> film. So whatever. I'm going with that. Every
3: movie's a Riker movie. <laughs> sure. <Yeah>.
1: Sure. <laughs> nice. I'm trying to um. Who who was it? that I, I want to make sure we get this on uh was it Terry Erdman who wrote co-wrote the the TNG book? Yeah, it's Terry Terry Erdman and uh, and uh, Paula Block. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just want to make sure we we get that on for the record, you know.
2: Yeah. 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 And yeah. and for the record, I'm reading Larry Nemechek's book. Oh,
1: nice. Would the yeah. companion
2: or his new one? Yeah.
3: The Companion. Nice. I read that when I was about nine and just adored it. I have Oh yeah. I I have been kind of like plaintively tweeting at Larry Namichek ever since. I'm like (laughs) like, about once every six months I'm like, here's I'm contributing to the thread. Oh, all right. (laughs) Never mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I found it at a used bookstore. And I I picked (laughs) it up like first edition and I'm very excited. And hopefully next time I see him I can get a I can get an autograph in there. Because I do. I remember reading it like I got out of the library when I was like ten. Along with the Star Trek Encyclopedia. Oh, did they, the, they, they have? Did they have one of those like, library
3: covers on them, like that crinkled and stuff?
1: If well, it did at the time. This this new one I got is just, just somebody's copy that they turned into right. the used bookstore, and it's it's fantastic. Yeah. And then Larry mentioned on Twitter that he talked about the reason that command switched to red, and they made yellow tactical. And Larry said, "Oh, it's in the companion," and I grabbed my companion. I was like, "No, Larry." I just read through the the introduction like four times. You do not have any. It's like, oh, you're right. It's like, ha! Fact checking Larry Nemechek about his own book.
2: Yeah, I bought it on Kindle to search it just yeah. to because I'm like, I would think that if it was in there, it'd be on on uh, Memory Alpha.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, oh well. Yeah. All right. Well, not not to talk about Star Trek too much. I think. Okay. So I think we yes. exhausted follow up about Star Star Wars. I want to talk about the other big franchise I love, which is. Battlestar Galactica.
2: So say we all. So say we yes. all. Are you guys? Are you guys Dragon big toasters. Battlestar fans? All right, sounds like <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> and I have been waiting literally two and a half years for the sequel show, Battlestar uh, Blood and Chrome, which was announced all the way back in off the top of my head, March 2010. Wow. They said this thing was coming, and they talked about the all digital sets. They talked about how it's going to be a war movie set, you know, during the first Cylon War. And it was coming, you know, for that holiday season. So, 2010. Holiday season 2010 came and passed. Holiday season 2011 came and passed. And here we are in 2012. And I believe March of this year, they made an announcement, it's dead. Yeah. Even yeah. though we knew from Doug Drexler that it was done. Um, they said, nope, it's gone. However, what did we just hear? What, it was, what was it? Monday? <laughs> you yeah, get an announcement so. that a YouTube channel, Machinima, has bought it and they're going to be airing it in four 10 minute segments every Friday starting this Friday. So when you download this, you should be able to hop on YouTube and watch the first 10 minutes of Blood and Chrome. Now, guys, how incredibly excited are you for Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome?
2: Incredibly.
1: You know.
3: Yeah, no, it's super, super excited. And it's because I didn't know the backstory. I knew that it got canned. I knew Doug Drexler was working on it because I read his excellent blog uh, as he was building it. But mm-hmm. I didn't know that it had been canceled and then resurrected as an internet. Uh, I, I didn't know that any of this happened. So I'm very glad. And, and also, I think that says a lot of cool things about the changing nature of entertainment and and mm-hmm. how we get our... You know how we get our, our passive like kind of TV watching, but uh, I I love it. I'm really really jazzed about it. And Drew, you know more about it, so you should talk more about it.
2: Well, what what blows my mind is when they announced, uh, you know, Drexler's like we're done with the effects. You know, we we CG'd every background. We we <laughs> know, added all these vipers. We did all this stuff, and then for like a week later, for Sci-Fi to say we're never going to air it. Like it it I don't understand. All of the crap that sci-fi puts out there, yeah. you know, their yeah. Saturday night movies, you know, Anaconda, Super Anaconda versus... Sharknado and...
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sharknado, <laughs> A yes. A friend of mine worked on Sharktopus and I was like, really, man? You, you now have Sharktopus in your I'm credits? Like, Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they have it on the shelf. Sure, Caprica didn't maybe didn't, you know, bust down all the doors like they expected, but they have it done and on the shelf and they spent all this money on it. Yeah. They're not going to make any money as soon as they announce that. I tweeted at Sci-Fi and I said, "I will pay you fifty dollars." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and I know a hundred thousand other people who will do that too. That's five million dollars yeah. you didn't have a week ago. Mm-hmm. Even if that's yeah. not all the money that you spend on it, that's more than you have now. Come on, yeah. just just put it on disc and give it to me. Just yeah. give it to and, me. And
1: and this trailer they put out is amazing. And it's like even if the show itself isn't phenomenal. This trailer was really, really good, and that'll get people's money like right away. Oh yeah, and and even now, I mean, even now that they're premiering it on YouTube. They're still saying, okay, now we're going to also release a DVD, and it's going to air on Sci-Fi. It, it's it, just they you can pre-order it. You can pre-order yeah. the Blu-ray right now, which is right. fantastic. It's just that they were holding on to that first release rights, I guess, just to to make their money back. This is something Drew and I talked about on iMessage. Uh huh. We're, we're trying to figure out that, that mythical messaging platform that exactly. I know nothing about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Every once in a while, you remember you have it. Um, that like, what is the problem with Blood and Chrome? Is it that the acting turns out to be really horrible? Is the is the writing really bad? Is there no story there? And um, but I think the most obvious thing we can think of right now is that just the effects was kind of a bad idea, and not yeah. not that having effects is a bad idea. Their idea of let's not build any sets. This is a show entirely shot on green screen. And I think that sounds good on paper, but I think once they got the bill back and they realized how long the effects were going to take to render, uh, they might have had second thoughts.
2: Yeah, I I get kind of an episode, you know, episode two and episode three kind of vibe from the, you know, we saw what good actors could not do Mm -hmm. on no sets with no other actors, but taking all these unknown people I don't know. I don't know.
0: Well,
3: you know, I I don't know. I, I from a performance standpoint, the the actors working on Star Wars were also dealing with George Lucas's direction. And I'm not just making like a crappy joke about George Lucas. Like, I mean, legit. The, the, those people who I respect, these performance, I really love their work. Normally, you put them in in George Lucas's hands, and it's just oh my oh my god! I've never seen worse performances out of these people. Yeah. So you know, it is entirely possible that that um, that if the direction is good, that the performances will be good. It's it's I think visually is the concern to me, because just like you used to know for years and years, when something was CGI, you knew it was CGI because it didn't look real, it didn't look like it had mass. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you you know when people are green screened in, you know when you see chroma key, you know the modern equivalent. I mean, I, I don't think that's been really overcome yet.
2: And, and yeah, to, look at V. The- I mean it was probably oh, done on the yeah. same budget and the yeah, mothership probably. in that new V show was awful like they didn't build any of the the V mothership <sighs> things and, and they would a- try ABC, all these right? fancy ca- yeah and they yeah. tried all these fancy camera angles and the people would be floating above the ground and dancing around like <laughs> yeah. it was yeah. you know some somebody's youtube thing
3: yeah and and I feel like ABC and and sci-fi and uh, there's a lot of these there's a lot of uh, shows out there that don't spend enough on their effects budget. Lost was a really frequent offender. Where mm-hmm. I mean, just the submarine and the submarine, the submarine of is Lost. the one everybody mentions. What, <laughs> what yeah. is this crap? Is this a music video for a 14-year-old's <laughs> dream? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like, got yeah, It's just absurd. So uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that kind of stuff runs rampant. So, but I don't know. Do you guys think that it is like a, a legitimate problem with blood and chrome that resulted in sci-fi's like? Um, you know cancellation or do you or do you think that it's it's just corporate crap that that you know that it actually is going to be a really good show i
1: i think they didn't want to release it until they could legitimately make it into a series if it was a hit and i think okay. when they got the dailies back or they you know they started getting the effects back and they realized oh crap this is going to take us a year to develop and and make it into something watchable i think they just panicked and said we don't know what to do with this anymore and see. i think and i and i'm wondering if now they're not just going to build some sets <laughs> like <laughs> like maybe it was this grand idea we're going to be in a new location every week it's all going to be space battles if we need to go to go to a battle star for a week we'll just generate the sets i think if they do make this go to series they're going to bite the bullet and it's going to be a smaller show but a show that they can actually they can actually manage it'll be interesting to see i think
3: i think i think that's a probably Pretty solid assumption there, Greg. I mean, either way, it's expensive, right? I
1: mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, Battlestar was not a cheap show. And part of the only reason they could get it done was because Gary Hutzel and the effects guys did stuff under budget. Mm-hmm. Like Ron talks about, Ronald DeMore talks about, they'd <laughs> say, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, mean, I was hanging out with Ron the other day. You know, yeah, Ron. Ronnie. <laughs> oh, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would say, like, he would tell the effects the guys, look, I need like a shot because this is the money I have for the shot. And The effects guys wanted the show to be good, so they delivered three shots. Hmm. And that's just a thing that would happen weekly on Battlestar. And, you know, maybe they didn't have that same sort of sweetheart deal for Blood and Chrome. Maybe, you know, lots of things. Um, It just, maybe they just didn't quite have the money for it. Um, And, of course, we're going to have to see what Blood and Chrome looks like. Maybe it's not good. Maybe we won't want to see it go to series. Like, I don't know if we knew... Like, I was wary before the miniseries came out, way back in 2003, like, is this going to be some crappy remake that no one's going to want to think about? Like, sort of like the Doctor Who TV movie that was aired in, uh, what was it, the 80s or the 90s in the US? It's like, maybe we don't want to go that direction with Doctor Who. Uh, But then (laughs) it it ended up being really good and everyone wanted to go to series. So we'll have to see if this is going to be the same way we'll see universal has you know
2: i mean they took an old tv series firefly and made a movie who knows maybe this movie will spawn
1: a new series yeah it's, it's entirely possible so please do please go watch it till all your friends let's get people watching this i do hate seeing series like this cut up but we need to get people watching it to prove to sci-fi that people care about Battlestar still still people want to see see this happen yeah, this is
2: a really cheap way for them to get actual numbers of yeah. of watching and better numbers than they could ever get on broadcast.
3: I mean, I, I oh, run yeah. a YouTube channel in addition to the forty other million things I do, and it's amazing to see, you know you can you can see in the video where people click away. You can see mm-hmm. you know wh- where people are coming from, what 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 has referred them to your site. You can see how long they stay. You can see a ridiculous amount of metrics that if you're a consumer, you know, you're like, well, I'm, I'm a little concerned that all these big companies know all this about me. And, you know, rightfully so, you know, whatever. That's a whole di- different discussion. But if you're a content provider, this stuff is invaluable. It's yeah. like, wow, 14% of viewers clicked away after this moment. Did you guys really just tune in to see, like, the sex scene or, like, the ship explosion <laughs> and then you leave? Like, is that, because so, if, if so, then that's useful information. So, are, are there a lot
1: of sex scenes in, like, Lumia? 950 oh, yeah, reviews. All my, all
3: my iPad reviews have at least one sex scene. Yes.
1: Got to bring him in
3: with right. the iPad. I mean, that's actually that is hilarious. I I'm not going to tell uh, that story. Let let's let's move
1: on. <laughs> okay. Well, so so speaking of uncomfortable sex scenes, um, were you guys Boy Meets World fans? Totally. Back in the day. Huge. Yes, totally. All right. I'm I'm glad to hear because I'm I'm hearing word that there are people out there. Who didn't watch Boy Meets World? I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't either. Like they knew it was a show and they were between the ages of ten and twenty-five and they weren't watching.
2: No. No. No, That's not physically possible. Yeah. Like what
1: what were they doing during TGIF broadcast hours? I have literally no idea. Oh (laughs) man. Yeah. If I could go back in time, I'd either want to go back to like 19 you know, like 1902 and see like the Industrial Revolution. And I would see light bulbs and, and airplanes invented. You're or, weird. yeah, I'd, I'd like to go back <laughs> to, like, the mid-90s and check out TGI Friday. <laughs> Just watch TGIF again. Yeah. Yes. that was... <laughs> I would go
3: back to the mid-90s so I could watch TGIF on my, like, legit black and white TV in my, uh, in my room and stay up until, you know, 11. And, <laughs> wow. No, totally. When I was I, growing TGIF up... TGIF
2: was the thing to look forward to all week. Go oh, ahead. yeah. When I was growing up, we didn't watch TV ever. Ooh. Except for TGIF. Oh man. Oh, that was like my mom was just like, you know, TV, you know, we don't need to watch TV, don't need to waste time on TV, but every Friday we had the thing on for what? 3 hours. I think oh, it was man. from 8 p.m. till 10 p.m. because there were four half-hour shows. Yeah. Yeah, we watched everything, including that stupid Teen Angel show that was in was
3: that in, in the, the latter in years?
2: The, was that in the 4th slot because the 4th slot was
3: the one that couldn't hold on to a show. Like no yeah, show in the fourth slot could ever survive. Kept changing. Yeah. Groom going places?
1: there's <laughs> like oh god it was just, then it was, what was in
3: there it was like full house family matter step by step and like you know hanging with mr cooper and then it was yep. fifth avenue and then it was going places and perfect wow. strangers
1: was in there for a minute i think my family tuned out before that fourth slot because i'm not <laughs> after hanging with mr cooper i don't remember any of those other ones really like maybe we gave up on the fourth slot <laughs>
3: <laughs> i feel like I, I feel like if if Ben were here, we'd get a door trick joke, like,
2: somehow. Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Oh, oh yes. See, the Teenage yes, Witch. Yes, that, yes, I'm sorry. That but... was... Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah. Okay, so... Good. All right. So, okay. reminiscing anyway. aside, I think we've we've proven Boy Meets World has a fan base. Totally. Um, And people may not know that, but even out there in the world, there's still people heavily into Boy Meets World. You, you think Doctor Who has a lot of people posting about it on Tumblr? there's still people making gifs about boy meets world and posting them on Tumblr and a million people reblogging it. Yeah, so, um, so
3: what were like for the people who didn't, who didn't watch yes. it, Greg, like what, you know, it, it was the trials and tribulations of like a, a high school kid, right?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, essentially we had the wonder years and then they want to make the wonder years again. So they put Fred Savage's little brother in it and put it on ABC and Instead of being about, what was, what was The Wonder Years? Wonder years the Wonder Years was like coming of age the 70s, in the 60s and 70s. In the 60s and 70s. Yeah. This was modern day. But essentially the same show. It's, yeah, it's yeah. growing up, dealing with teachers, dealing with bullies. You have your, um, you know, your very special episode where you, you have to deal <laughs> Every with- Every
2: other episode. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They probably dealt with- um, you know teen pregnancy and drugs and all of these things in a very you know family friendly manner that. It's not like today's gossip girl where it's dealing with it, but it's also kids having sex all the time. Right, that, this is a show that fam- families loved watching together because it was fun stuff. I feel like that that's the thing. Like Wonder Years, you could watch together with your family, but but Wonder Years was a very different show in tone.
3: Mm-hmm. I think Wonder Years was a much more serious show, and I think it took itself more seriously, whereas uh, Boy Meets World was like, ABC is like, okay, we're going to do Wonder Years light, and we're going to yeah. put a laugh track on it, and you're going to be able to watch it with your family. Oh, and yeah. there's, if there are awkward moments you have with your, you speak, it's going to be because of the very special episodes. Otherwise, we're doing, yeah. you know, all these gags that we see in other shows but because it's Fred Savage's little brother because right. it's a good cast because it's it's so lighthearted it, it was it was a very endearing show yeah. i thought yeah
1: well, i think wonder years was single camera whereas boy meets world was multicam. and I, yeah. I i don't know if they shot in front of a live audience but it had that feeling of a classic sitcom like happy days and it didn't feel like i don't know it, it felt more like like you say more wonder wonder days Wonder Years, light. <laughs> Wonder think, Days? Yeah, yeah.
3: I think Wonder Years was was more of a, a, a dramedy, whereas yeah, exactly. uh, Boy Meets World was kind of a straight comedy. Except, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, So, okay, so that aside, the big news this this past week, I, I don't know, this is a big, big year for, for geeks and for, for people of our generation. The Disney Channel has announced that they are moving forward with a Boy Meets World sequel show yes. entitled Girl Meets World that is about... Corey and Topanga, all grown up, married, and with a daughter. And we, we finally got news this week that the daughter, there's also a son, and they're about 13 and 14. And the daughter has a, a best friend who also looks up to Corey as a father figure because Corey is now taking over the Mr. Feeney role, and he's going to be the seventh grade teacher. What? At his daughter school. <laughs> I did not hear that part. Yes,
3: I didn't know any about this. Any, any excuse me, anything about this. This is crazy. Is it still uh Ben
1: Savage playing the role? It is. It's still um Ben Savage and Daniel Fisher. <laughs>
2: um, they're they're asked, they're talking to them about it, but it, those it two is. haven't been seen in like ten years. So I imagine they'll be like, I will be on your TV show. I mean, they got Billy Ray <laughs> yeah. Cyrus to be on TV. I'm pretty sure that they can yeah. they can grab fred savage (laughs) danielle
1: is tweeting about it It, it's pretty much a done deal they're casting the rest of the pilot right now they have the original executive producer from boy meets world who is also um I believe he was in charge of a in charge. He ran Charles in charge back in the day. <laughs> he was the guy in charge of He was in charge of Charles in charge. In charge. He was in charge of Charles. Who's really in charge? That is I think that was the question every week, wasn't it? I God. So, no, that's
2: who's the boss. That was a yeah. question every Oh, that's right. In back in a Charles I'll was always in charge. That's
1: true. <laughs> what hap- what would happen if you put Charles and Tony Danza <laughs> in a room together?
3: I think the I universe just, would explode. Know. Yeah, I think Tony would just sit there in the corner saying, Angela, <laughs> Mona, <laughs> Jonathan. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway. Right. So, so so, they've got the pedigree. I don't know if you can call it that, of the original show. And it sounds like it won't be on ABC. It'll actually be on the Disney Channel. And oh, that's probably the only God. bit of this that worries me. <laughs> but I, I do want to get you guys, your guys'... Michael, really, you didn't hear about this? No, this, this escaped look, your I've notice. I've Greg. Now? You've
3: been making a giant storm about it on Twitter all week, and I've been—I like seriously—I've been so busy that I, I look at the Twitter feed and I'm like, because I'm posting some phone thing, and I'm like, oh, Greg's posting about that Boy Meets World sequel again. That sounds awesome. I got to click on that link. And then like three days later, I'm like, man, I never clicked on that link. And Greg is still really
2: excited about this, this show. <laughs>
3: so I'm glad we're talking about it this week. No, I, I didn't love- know anything about this. It's great.
2: The problem with Greg talking about things on Twitter is that some of them aren't exactly true, and then you get excited <laughs> about something that probably doesn't exist. That's true. He will fake you out.
1: <laughs> I did. I did mention the next in the Bruce Willis's um, blockbuster series. It's called Revenge. The dish best served Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I would. I would pay to see that film.
1: So that 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 one may not be entirely true. So but, I, I can see why you could get confused. But wait, did Disney Channel for real? Yes, the mm-hmm. Disney Channel for real. This is actually happening. The pilot is moving forward. It will be on air um, either this fall or it'll be in January.
2: Now, you, Michael, you sound distraught at this. Um, I'm not, yeah. I think it's a good thing. Where in the lineup would you put a show like this? They don't have TGIF anymore. Yeah. Are they going to put it after Modern Family? I you mean, know. like, there's no... Maybe maybe, maybe around the, the middle, right but between. it just it doesn't...
1: Right between Family Guy and American Dad, I think, is where this (laughs) is Yeah, I mean, the feeling I'm getting from this is a, I said this on Twitter kind of half-jokingly, but I'm kind of feeling it, kind of like The Clone Wars, which is kind of sitting there on Cartoon Network. It's got a reasonable number of viewers, a lot of kids watching it, and a lot of their parents, but it doesn't have to make huge numbers every week. Where, and that's pretty much the way that's gonna be on the Disney Channel. They're gonna have their own little corner of TV, so they're gonna be able to make three or four seasons and sort of find their niche. Right. I'd hate for it to be on ABC and have to have a huge audience every Ch- week. To survive, be, yeah. Just to survive, because mm-hmm. I just don't think that's how, how TV works. I mean, a show like Cheers that was huge would never have been made in today's TV environment. No. Um, Ken Levine, the creator of Cheers, talks about, talked about that on his blog recently. So I'm not just pulling that out of the air. No, yeah, and
3: and and uh, even like uh, I'm sorry to drop draw back to Star Trek, but Star Trek: The Next Generation would never have survived long enough to find its yeah. feet in today's yeah. climate. So you're absolutely right. I and I think it should be on a smaller network. It's just that when you associate something with Disney, it it has a very specific connotation, particularly yes. if you have been away from TV for a while, like I have. Like I have, I watch TV, but I watch very few channels. And I watch, you know. So I I think Disney Channel, I think. Frankly, things I don't want to watch as yes, uh, as, a, exactly. as a 29-year-old dude who likes sci-fi and other weird stuff, but generally doesn't like stuff that Disney's into. So, you know, I, I, I think that's, that is a concern as far as the audience that it wants
2: to attract. But that may be part of their thing is that, you know, they may be getting these uh, 25 to 35-year-old people watching Disney Channel, uh, someone ah. they've never reached out to before. Oh, you Well, very.
3: If if so, then that would be a very crafty, tactical kind of audience grab. There, I I
2: hope that's true. Because it's the only thing that makes sense is that they're trying to attract us, because oh, yeah. they can put whatever they want on Disney Channel, and somebody will watch it. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's Wizards, Wizard people, or <laughs> you know, quasi musical TV shows, or Billy Ray Cyrus.
1: My parents but... watch The Wizards of Waverly Place. What? I I literally can't... My parents are in their, their, what, early 50s? And every time I call them, they're telling me what's going on in the Wizards of Waverly Place. I I, I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) But these shows do have broader appeal than than you may think. But I, I do take your point, Drew, that, yeah, it's kind of junk. And they could probably just... They could make Boy Meets World and it not be Boy Meets World and people would still watch it. The fact that they're calling it Boy Meets or calling it Girl Meets World and putting... Ben Savage on the air when no one's seen him in 20 years, kind of, yeah, it makes a statement that they're trying to pull in sort of our generation, which is kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool that someone's really reaching out to me. You know who else tried to do that? Not to be cynical, yeah. but uh, <laughs> Danger,
3: the guys who made the sidekick. You guys remember the sidekick, that little little handheld device that would flip out, the screen would flip out yes. and you'd have a keyboard? It was kind of like yes. the Skater Boys Blackberry.
1: Yes. <laughs>
3: yeah. Okay. Danger decided that they that the people who had originally carried the Sidekick as thirteen year olds had grown up, and now they were. It was like you know, a little less than ten years later. We need to make a Sidekick for adults, and it's going to have a high res screen, and it's going to be like you know, you could break it out in a boardroom if you're that lucky or whatever. And they did, and it was a great device. And then they you know didn't sell enough of them, and they got bought by Microsoft because they didn't adapt as quick quickly enough. Right. Um, I don't. I I think that this is this show is not going to be an analog to that experience but you know it's really hard to bring something into the present from the past Um it's yes. been done successfully a lot of the time too and I think with a title as close to Boy Meets World as Girl Meets World is and with the original cast who were just kind of widely adored I, I mm-hmm. think the show has a really solid chance but I, I also think they have to be careful.
1: Yeah I mean on on the like we've, we've talked about now three projects like from well, Battlestar in quite our childhood, but, you know, bringing back this stuff, I'm most excited about Star Wars. I'm rather excited about Battlestar and Boy Meets World or Girl Meets World is very much hitting my radar. It's making me very excited. I'm going to tune in. I'm actually going to rewatch. Uh, don't don't tell ABC, but I have a torrent running for the entire <laughs> oh. Boy Meets World series because I'm going to do a rewatch. Literally, Jeez. Um, I'm quite excited, but it's not up to the level of Star Wars for me. So, but I definitely be tuning in. We'll be talking about it later on the show, like in future episodes. Let's see where it goes. I think I'm, yeah. I'm not hating this, and I think that's a good sign. I, I feel better.
2: It. I feel better about Girl Meets World more than I would new Star Wars, <laughs> which is <laughs> that's which something which is weird of me to say. Yeah.
1: Well, Adiwan is still working on that. Um, you know, the Boy Meets World pilot revisited. Um, I believe they yeah. have that out in 2015, if all goes well. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, I I will say, and maybe in closing, my final thought on this show is that I have not seen Greg uh, Twitter, Greg Harbin, excited for anything (laughs) quite as much as Boy Meets as Girl Meets World, uh, since uh, Call Me Maybe came out. (laughs) 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 So that's um, that's probably true. Yeah, you know that's enough for me. I'll I'll tune in.
1: All right, so I want to switch gears then from TV and nostalgia into. Pure, utter anger and hatred. Tell us um, of your
2: anger, Greg. <laughs>
1: Ooh, okay, yes. so I have a Verizon, well, I have an Apple iPad, an iPad 3, that has LCE from Verizon built in. And basically what happened is on Thursday, I got my notice that, oh, your data's up. Maybe you should buy some more data. So I went ahead and purchased the five gigabyte data plan from Verizon. No, it is $50 That's to a lot buy of money. It's a lot of money yeah. to buy five gigabytes for 30 days. And I was like, okay, this will hopefully last me 30 days. It will at least last me a couple of weeks. I'm very careful with my usage. Um, I only use Twitter and a little bit of internet as I go. Okay. So I'm just using it as normal. I wake up Monday morning and it tells me it is all gone. All of it. All of it, and you bought it five when? gigabytes in about all five gigabytes in about three days. That's most of which I was home. That's on my home Wi-Fi network. Completely now impossible. I was when I was home, I was downloading stuff. I downloaded an episode of Last Resort. I downloaded a bunch of podcasts. So this this was fishy. I was like, okay, I probably need to call Verizon find out what's going on. I went ahead and purchased another five gigs because I'm just like, okay, well, I I'll figure this out later. The next, so I purchased that on the way home from work on monday tuesday morning i wake up you know download my podcast and head out to work checked it and i had used 750 megabytes that's no. not physically possible and no, that was entirely really while home on wi-fi <laughs> oh goodness so i call them and i explain my situation and they say oh well that's weird i'm like okay so what are you going to do about it well nothing it's like okay well now i want to speak to your supervisor so I speak with this girl's supervisor, and she says, "Okay, well, let me check to make sure that that was usage on on the network." And she, you know, puts me on hold, and talks tech support. Of course, this all takes 45 minutes right. while I'm at work, naturally, and puts me on hold. Tech support comes back. Okay, nope, that all was, was usage on the Verizon network. It's like, okay, but I was on Wi-Fi, and this supervisor explains to me, "No, you see, when you are on Wi-Fi, you need to turn off cellular data." Or it will continue to use the LTE network instead of Wi-Fi? No. And I said, really? <laughs> I have to turn off Wi I have to turn it off every time I join my Wi-Fi network? Yes. <laughs> and at th- this point, I was just in complete disbelief. So you you guys uh, have have used technical things before. Is is this is there any way that this is true? That you have to go into like three setting screens and turn off your cell data every time you want to connect to Wi-Fi.
3: That is not how it how it should be designed. No, it should it should do an automatic switchover. Uh, I mean,
2: my my at t iPhone switches back
1: and forth. I know because I had a 200 megabyte plan forever. There you go. So and it and it didn't use data while you were home, right? Like Never. that's the only way you're able to make it work. Because when you're home, you're doing big downloads, but yes. you're careful when you're away from home. And and the other thing is that the iPad. It prohibits you from downloading stuff that's very big. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have downloaded a two gigabyte TV file while I was on on the LTE network. It would have told me, oh, you have to download stuff smaller than 50. So the iPad apparently knows it's on Wi-Fi, but is using cell data, which this is a problem. <laughs> this is clearly a problem. Yeah. I could
2: swear that I read somewhere um, that this was a known issue and that exactly. they patched
1: that. And I had heard that too. Yeah, and, I'm reading and, about
2: it now on uh, MacRumors
3: uh, forums. Yeah, the thread from June is, is, is the same exact issue you were having, Greg. Yeah. Right.
1: I hadn't seen it be about the iPad. I'd seen that the iP- the iPhone 5 was having issues oh, and that yeah. they had worked on a patch. And actually, they just released a patch. But they released the patch the night before I got that 750 megabyte charge. So unless all of that was the update, which I don't think it was. I think the update was about 50 or 60. Yeah, it was probably a Delta. Um, Right, exactly. So I think all of that seven fifty was from the podcast I downloaded in the morning and that was after I'd installed the patch. Obviously there's still a problem on Apple's end. All I'm asking from asking for from Verizon is a credit for one of my fifty dollar purchases. Yeah, you're not asking for all of it, right? No, I mean, I'm not asking for all of it. I'm not asking for a year's worth of data for free. I'm right. You're saying, asking them to make to make the problem right. That is not your fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all I'm getting from Verizon Customer service is no, you're wrong. Um, I got, I finally got tech support on the line and the supervisor told tech support, look, we're not, I, I was explaining to them, here's an article on the internet explaining this being a problem that exists. Cause they were telling me, well, I haven't ever heard of that. If that was a problem, they would have told us about it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm reading them the internet article and the supervisor interrupts me to tell the tech support person to hang up on me.
3: Wow. What? Wow. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Way to go, Verizon Wireless. Exactly. Jeez. So. I I, I just yeah. I, I I just found a post, uh, Greg, that it, it, from September twenty four, uh, recounting your tale to the T, and um, wow. it's it is very obviously a widespread issue, and you got yeah. hung up on, <laughs> and, <laughs> like and customer the, and care the, that is yeah, my,
1: classy. Oh, it's wow, yeah, and I and I I, know,
2: I would yeah. complain about AT and T, but they've never hung up on me.
1: Right, I mean I, it was just ridiculous. Like the 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 supervisor basically said, you're not getting a refund and then just sat there silently. It's like, I'm a customer. Like, even if you're not gonna be able to do exactly what I want, you have to say something and provide something and be empathetic and, you know. So yeah, I'm, I'm still in the process of getting something worked out. I've had several exchanges with VZW support on the Twitter. <laughs> oh, they didn't find watched These oh my have God. been. Verizon all the
3: support on Twitter is like the horse ebooks of the customer service world. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's ridiculous because, so, you know, I post stuff yeah. about wireless carriers all the time and like but once or twice a week, I'll post a story that has like Verizon in the headline and they'll be like, <laughs> like invariably, like two hours after I post the, the link to the story, they're like, oh, hey, Michael, can we help you with your Verizon wireless service? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you yes. can't. Did you look at the link? It's like it, it, they're like right. the commenter that goes to the comment section after he reads the headline and doesn't
2: read any of the story. That's yeah. who they have responded to me too.
3: Yeah, Like really I was, proactive. I was complaining
2: because Verizon upgraded their network in my town mm-hmm. and, you know, 4G LTE and all this kind of ridiculous stuff. And I was still on edge
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it was, it was making me mad, but, uh, Wait, and then, not on, oh, on AT&T
3: but, or on Verizon?
2: Verizon. It was making oh, me on mad on that ADO, ATT, yeah. AT&T was still on edge, but Verizon oh, was at okay. LTE. Oh, I got you. Okay. I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm going to switch as soon as I can. <laughs> and, you know, AT&T better get your, your gears in, in motion. And Verizon responded, and they said, "You know, like well, we'll be happy to have you as a customer." I thought that was really cool. But then AT and T upgraded their network, and I got oh, a okay. job somewhere where AT and T is the only cell service. So uh, I'm sticking <laughs> with AT and T. In fact, I ordered my new iPhone five today. That was exciting. Oh,
1: hey. oh man. you suck. Can I? I want to read a couple of the the tweets that I received from VZW support. So because yeah, they never get it on the first first couple of tweets. Oh god. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and and I was ignored for about. Twelve hours, as I was tweeting about this, and basically they replied to one of my things and said, "To ensure that no LTE is used while on Wi-Fi, please disable it." And they sent me to a tech support site, which, okay, this is an acceptable tech support answer for people who have spotty Wi-Fi. Sure. And mm-hmm. you just want to do a broad. It's it's the equivalent of, okay, please now turn off your computer and turn it back on, and that's just not to not because that would fix anything, but just to establish. That the person's computer was not actually off at the time so i understand sometimes they have to do that but i explained it that's not an acceptable solution the ipad knows when it's on wi-fi no other carrier is charging people for data on wi-fi and here's my answer and we don't charge our customers to use wi-fi either with verizon you select the plan that's right for you <laughs>
3: Really? I told so, you. They're the horse ebooks books of, of so
1: so <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now I'm getting angry. I said, you're charging me for LTE data even when I'm connected to Wi-Fi. I should not have to turn off cell data when on Wi-Fi. And here's the response I get. But if you don't, then you'll continue to use LTE. The device is intended <laughs> for use on sense. Verizon's no. network after all. No. It makes no sense. No. And I, I say that, and I say that, and I say that. And finally, somebody else says, I see what you're saying. It should override your cellular network connections, yet not disable them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I finally get somebody on Verizon to agree with me. But still, that was 13 hours ago, and I still had no resolution. I finally, you know, someone asked me to DM them my, my phone number and the times that I was using it on Wi-Fi that it charged me. Mm-hmm. And they came back to me with, oh, it looks like you're using prepaid service. You need to call our prepaid line. <sighs> Like of well, course. of course I'm Naturally. prepaid. I'm on an iPad. That's how it works. You buy prepaid service, and if I call them, they're gonna give me the same runaround I've been getting from Verizon customer care. So, based on my my experience with them, I'm I'm about to call Verizon compliance, and you know, actually file a complaint because the supervisor was just not providing customer service in the slightest, and I. I know a little bit about what Verizon is and isn't supposed to be doing based on my job. So, right. um, yeah, this is interesting. So, I do want to know if anybody else in our listenership has had issues with this. Um, I'm now turning off my cell data every time I enter Wi-Fi, which is ridiculous, but apparently the only solution they're willing to provide.
3: Yeah, You know, and it, it's funny to, to, to hear about this problem as, as an ex-wireless employee because we had this same problem all the time. And the actual procedure is, you know, if somebody comes in with a problem like yours, and, you know, this is five years ago, so we weren't having LTE problems or even WiMAX problems. It was like, you know, my 3G data doesn't work. And it's like, yeah, if they're on prepaid, uh, they have to go to another department. There's, There's all these roadblocks oh, set up between the customer getting what he wants and the company actually being able to deliver it, even yeah. when the company is in the wrong, which it more often than not is. Yeah. And even as an employee, you're trying to do the right thing. And the the, the company is not only saying, um, you know, uh, you need to follow a different procedure. The company is saying, if you defy our internal rules and make the customer happy, then we're still mad at you and you could still be penalized. Right. Um, And, and you know, it's a cultural problem in all of these massive corporations. All Mm -hmm. the wireless companies have this massive cultural problem. And we would routinely at my store break the rules because my Mm -hmm. manager was like, no, we have to keep this person happy. So we're going to break the rules and I'm going to take the heat for it. And as a result, we were a very popular store because it was one of the few (laughs) places you could get something done. Right. So, Greg, you might want to, if you can, make friends with somebody at your local Verizon wireless retail store. Not that you should have to, but just to be safe.
1: and I, I guess my problem is I'm not a contract customer. You know, I'm on yeah, an iPad, so, they're not so I, help
3: him. Right. I don't. Because if you like, leave, you're not going to affect their churn. They don't care.
1: Exactly. Well, the thing is, I am. Like, I do spend a lot of money. I've been buying, you know, twenty gig or two gigabytes, three gigabytes every two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and occasionally, I have noticed, oh crap! I had Apple's podcast app installed, which just wantonly downloads podcasts whenever it feels like. That cost me a lot of data. Shoot, now I've got to buy more data. So I've been doing that a lot. Um, so they've made a lot of money off of me. I'm a customer they want to keep, but I think they don't see it as that. I think they're all about the contract customers. And if I'm not one, they don't particularly care. Because if I switch to someone else, that that never was money that was on their books. Like right. They never... They never were counting on it.
3: They don't report those figures to 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 Wall Street. Like I mean, they do, but nobody yeah. nobody on like Wall Street looks at it. Nobody on the nobody none of their investors really look at prepaid customers terribly right. seriously because churn is expected to be high in that market. Exactly. Like, they look at at churn in the postpaid segment, and exactly. so yeah, you're you're a less valuable customer to them.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I that's wonder. I wonder ridiculous. if maybe
2: you're barking up the wrong tree. Have you tried calling Apple? I'm sure they might. They yeah. probably just say call Verizon. That's but and that's my. It issue. sounds like I'm, a problem with
1: iOS. It is a problem with iOS, but I've I've had enough experiences with the Apple store to know the exact experience I'm gonna have, which is I'm gonna go in, yeah. I'm gonna to explain to them my problem, they're gonna do a couple of tests, and they're gonna say, hmm, it shouldn't be working that way. You should talk to Verizon. <laughs> yeah. I can and see that. That's not gonna do me any good. Um and so I'm I'm still in the process of this. Hopefully next week we can do an FU. That's a follow-up section. <laughs> and Okay. This is my FU to Verizon section, but next week will be follow up. <laughs> pause, pause for laughter. Um, and hopefully they will have done something for me. I mean, even I, at this point, I'd kind of just accept someone apologizing and saying, yes, that appears to be a problem. I'm going to have tech support look into it and hopefully we'll get a resolution. Um, I'm not even particularly looking for the money back at this point. That was my original, look, if they just give me one of these charges back, if they credit me back for one of my purchases, I'll be fine. I'll just go away. Um at this point I kind of would just like an apology and an a a admitting that there is a problem that needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. But they don't even seem to be willing to do that.
3: You know, i I think the silver lining here is that if you manage to um if you don't manage to solve the problem and and you, you continue to hate the inconvenience and it doesn't get fixed, you can um, you can switch to ATT. I mean you can pop an AT SIM on your Verizon the, Wireless iPad and, and the, use their LTE.
1: Now, can I? Now, yeah. you're, you're the, you're the pocket now guy. Can I use their LTE even on the Verizon iPad? I thought I would be limited to the 3G.
3: It works that way. Uh, oh, well, the data connectivity works. I don't know if LTE works. I know the Verizon okay. iPad will, will work on AT&T's network. I don't know which one it will uh, connect to. I think it'll connect to 4G, though. I'll double I, check on that and get back to you. But in any case, okay. you, I, you will have I may some check. kind of connectivity if you need it.
1: Well, that's if they continue to give me... I was ready. I was ready to just completely switch over to AT&T when I just had the supervisor on me. Now that I have the Twitter people kind of dealing with me and I, I have yet to call their prepaid line, I may try that route and see. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they continue to just say, like they were just stating, you have to turn off cell data when you enter Wi-Fi. And that is simply a not true statement. It's ridiculous. And they I would have really to write
2: that down and uh, in an instruction manual and give it yes. to everybody. Because I guarantee that nobody does that.
1: No, yeah. no, it's ridiculous to assume that you have to do that. It, it would be like, um, you know, it automatically steps down from LTE to 3G, right? So, what if you had to automatically turn or manually turn off LTE to use 3G? That and that would be silly. You would never have to do that. Right. It it automatically picks the the best network that it can, and yeah, nobody would be able to get by with, you know, as as Drew, you say you have the 200 megabyte plan could never do that if it was still using your 3g data while you were on the wi-fi right so it's it's clearly a wrong statement and it flabbergasts me that verizon is telling people to say this because it's it's clearly in their you know their flowchart somewhere is to tell this to people and that is simply unacceptable <laughs> right
3: yeah that's going to be their solution to the problem that's what they've decided is the fix
1: Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, and I'm so, sorry,
3: let me correct myself. Uh, you can get AT&T 3G connectivity, but LTE, okay. um, the iPad for Verizon does not support uh, the 1700 megahertz band for AT&T. Yeah. So you can't get AT&T LTE. Uh, uh, I, I, wonder if I,
1: yeah. I wonder if I screamed and yelled at the Apple store if they would give me an AT&T iPad.
3: Oh, that would be... It just yeah, swapped oh man. me out. If the iPad had just launched and Apple was still the size it was in 2010, that probably could happen. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I... I, I I bet they wouldn't do that today, or they would charge me at least a hundred dollars. Yeah, to swap it out. Um, yeah, they probably that,
2: don't have any third generation ones. Yeah, they're around. still. Well, they're they, still selling they probably the have
1: them. Um, I don't think they're selling the third gen. I they're think they're selling
2: the two and the. Oh,
1: new, the two and the, the two and the four the and the mini. The new new one. <laughs> yes. Right. It's the yeah, iPad yeah, yeah. with retina That's display. True and weird. Yeah, the iPad, the yeah. iPad 2, the iPad, the new iPad, and then the iPad with the retina display. Okay, this should pull us into, I, we're now at an hour. Unfortunately, we're going to go a little bit over today. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the, the, the iPad announcements that we didn't talk about last time where they've announced an iPad mini. Now, has anyone on this panel actually played with an <laughs> iPad mini yet? This is so
3: embarrassing. No, (sighs) no, I have not personally played with one yet. Oh, man.
1: Well, so I actually had a blog post back in December of 2007 in which I said, Apple needs to release this. And okay, it took them three, four years to release it. But what I actually asked for was for something the size of the iPad mini um, with a slightly higher resolution screen, though. And... Um, slightly more powerful, but it does seem like it's a form factor that's really cool. And Michael, you're you're like an Android guy, so you've at least used devices of this size, right? I am. Yeah, I'm a
3: platform agnostic guy. I, I have to. I write about all of them, and I love uh, elements of all of them. But yes, I have fallen in love with the Nexus Seven, uh, which ah. which does run Android and is made by Asus. Um, but I like, seventy <laughs> percent of the reason I fell in love with the thing was because of its size. Yeah, mm. a seven-inch tablet, which the iPad mini technically is not, it's closer to eight inches. It's Um,
1: like 7.8 inches or something, yeah.
3: Yeah, it it, it is, after you've, especially after you've used a full-size tablet, be it an iPad or another 10-inch tablet, for so long, to suddenly have the utility of a seven-inch tablet that you're you're taking around town and throwing in your bag and even throwing in your cargo pocket if you want, I mean, the enhanced portability of just losing those three inches is something that it is impossible to describe to you how much uh, how, how nice it is and this is why I understand why people are freaking out about the iPad mini because yeah you, I mean it, it, it's it's wonderful I yeah. still you I, know I've had the Nexus 7 for four months and I'm still in love with it and that that doesn't let la- you know my new gadget lust doesn't last very long the honeymoon phase right. dies out very quickly usually so yes um, I think this is a big deal even though in many ways it is just an iPad 2 and a smaller casing um, the smaller casing is a big enough deal that this is a this is a huge step forward.
1: Yeah. And I think it does come down to that portability, right? Like the, I love my third gen iPad, but I was, you know, I carried it to Walgreens a minute ago <laughs> and I couldn't do anything if I didn't bring my bag with me. Like it's just gonna be this big, awkward thing that's in my hand. Yeah. It's a tank. It, yeah. 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 And and I think my thought with the mini, well, my idea for the paper Mac, as I called it back in the day, um, was that it was sort of the size of a paperback book and it would actually fit in that little pocket in your jacket. Oh, like the little front pocket. pocket. Well, the the little, you know, where it sort of has flaps in the front. Okay. For, I don't know what you stick in, what you're supposed to stick in there. But yes. I think my idea was, oh, just stick your, your little, you know, iPhone maxi in there. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I think the iPad mini would fit in there and it, it would work pretty well. I have a bag that my iPad fits in pretty well. And I, I honestly do carry it around a lot, but I can really see the utility Of having a smaller one, Uh, Drew, do you, I know you have an iPad. Do you carry it around? Do you use it quite a bit? It's my wife's iPad, and she uses it all the time.
2: But uh, in preparation for this show, I've I've been considering it and picking it up. And and ever since they announced the Mini, I was like, uh, because hearing and reading uh, Michael talking about the Nexus 7, I've been really interested in that form factor, because I think that her iPad is just too big. Mm-hmm. And I was holding it and watching a video, and it's just so... I mean, the 2 is really heavy. Yeah. But it's just so big and so heavy, I, I really need to touch a Mini. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd love to love to play with one. I am I understand why it's not Retina, but I'm really, really disappointed. Like, I think I'm going to hold off for uh, when they can fit a Retina screen. I mean, that can, right. my phone is freaking retina and it's 3 years old. Well, um, yeah,
1: and, and when I hear that it's not a retina screen, my mind goes back to my iPad 1 that yep. had probably the worst screen I can think of. It was I forget exactly, like 170 pixel per, pixel per inch. It was really really bad. So this isn't that bad. It's, right. it's on par with the, the it's it's basically a 3GS screen writ large. So it's it's around what is it? Do you know this, Michael? What's what, the have, PPI have, off the top of my head? Yeah, we should have Paul Miller on because he's from The Virgin. He is the, <laughs> the pixel density enthusiast. Um,
3: yeah, it's the 163 PPI.
1: Okay, and that—that's—that's that's the one of the iPad Mini. That's the iPad yeah. Mini. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then, then the then the iPad One must have been even lower, like 110 or 120. Uh, it was the iPad
3: yeah. One and the iPad Two share a panel, and the iPad Two mm-hmm. had uh, 132.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is better than that, but nowhere near like the 200. That's on the iPad 3. Or, yeah, that
3: I mean, the iPad 3, uh, 264 on the iPad oh, 3 my and God. 4. And then, you know, high 2s on the, or low 2s, I think, on the Nexus 7. And yeah. everything else has kind of been, have, like the PPI, Apple really start, kicked off the PPI race. And they were like, yeah. everyone else is like, oh, we never advertised this metric before, but now we have to because of the Retina yeah. display. And then so everyone I, started packing yeah. in more pixels. So, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like I would really notice it. I mean, one thing I love about the iPad grande is, <laughs> you know, I can watch like a 1080p, TV show on it, and it's really beautiful. I can, you know, stream trailers at 1080p. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be possible with the mini. It's, but it would be better for like on-the-go Twitter usage than the iPad. I mean, just trying to do the the swipe to refresh while walking, while using the big iPad is a ridiculous affair. <laughs> You're you gotta break it. To, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I've dropped mine several times, and it has like a few Ooh. dents here and there. It still works fine. Um, I'm probably more active with my iPad than most people are. I feel like for most people, the iPad, I don't know what to call it, but the big (laughs) iPad is probably going to stay at home for most people. Whereas the, or it goes in a bag and comes out when you're seated. Yes. Whereas the iPad mini is more something you you can really use while walking. Now, should we
2: look at this as, I mean, like the iFixit teardown, it has a lot of shared components with the iPod Touch. Mm-hmm. Is it a big iPod Touch or is it a small iPad? And who are they? Who are they going for? Are they just trying to kill the seven-inch market, or or are they are they trying to fill a need that Steve didn't see? I mean, because he said that seven-inch tablets were stupid, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that you'd have to whittle down your fingers in order to make it useful, which doesn't make any sense because the Icons on the iPhone are the same size or smaller than what it would be on a seven-inch. Anyway, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. What do you, What do you think about that? Is Michael? it what, is what, it a big what's phone? The
2: I mean, because I'm on my iPhone a lot. Mm-hmm. Would it is it a big phone or is it a small iPad or is it both? I think the thing is this: uh,
3: the iPad Mini differs from a lot of seven-inch tablets in that it has preserved Apple's favorite aspect ratio, which is you know the four to three kind of fat boy screen, um, whereas a lot of other tablets in the 10-inch space decided to go long, you know, with their 16 by 9 or 16 by 10, um, mm-hmm. you know, and which makes for a great tablet if you're watching movies on, but if you hold it in portrait orientation, you look like an idiot and you feel like an idiot. So that's why Apple did this with the big iPad, and they, they carried that into the iPad Mini, and as a result, it's much less, I, I think, it, it suffers much less from big phone disease uh, as mm-hmm. far as the feel and hand goes than some of these other tablets do. Like the Nexus 7, I think, is more comfortable in the hand because it's a much slimmer device, but it's also, the iPad mini is unquestionably a tablet.
1: Now, I, I remember back to the days when the iPod, remember iPods? Those were big back in the day. Those were pretty I remember cool, uh, once. So remember, yeah. remember when the iPod mini was announced and everyone was like, well, it's just a small iPod, but it was big. And then the iPod Nano came out and that was huge. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now if you see anyone with an iPod, it's an iPod Nano. There's no one carrying a classic iPod around. You might see a shuffle here or there, mm-hmm. but the the main form factor is that that Nano form factor. Do you think that's gonna happen to the iPad as well? That when you see one, it's not gonna be? I, I, I was on a flight home from, from Moscow the other week, and I don't <laughs> wanna say literally everyone, but probably two out of three people had an iPad. Do on the, you think- On the plane? On the, on the airplane, yes. Mm. Um, and then maybe half of the rest of the people had um, ha- half the rest of the people had laptops. So it was a huge iPad and not laptop thing. and then you know, some people were just very sad with like the paperback books or <laughs> trying to play bejeweled on a really shitty capacity screen capacitive touchscreen. So but I'm wondering like if in two years, are there's all going to be iPads mini? Well- are we going to see them? Around or is it going to be half and half? How how is this going to pan out?
2: My my thought is that the the nano, the iPod Nano and the Mini, they were cheap enough to be kind of an impulse item.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Like you know, I think we've bought. I don't. I've never had a Nano, but I think we've bought three or four just because we were just like, I can't believe you don't have an iPod, so we would just buy it for. My mother-in-law, my stepmother, uh, all everybody—we just buy them be because a, they were they were I super join cheap. Join your family. Can I? Can I like just hang out with you? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Good for you. But they were like 70, 80 bucks. You know, it's just kind of like, well, that's what we would spend at Christmas. So here you go. Have one of these. Sure. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I think that the mini, the iPad Mini, is just too three thirty. Yeah, three
1: twenty-nine is a bit much. I think for impulse buy.
2: It's it's a lot for an impulse buy. I was hoping. I mean, if it was two ninety nine, maybe. But I think yeah. that, I mean, but it is a first generation product, yeah. and you know the iPhones when they first came out were what you know three hundred dollars on contract or something. It was four ninety nine uh, when it first you, came yeah, out. Yeah, 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 it was five hundred on contract.
1: Yeah,
3: but but you know Apple can 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 do this right. They don't need to be in that impulse purchase category right now. I mean, they are. If you, if you discount inflation and you, you kind of look at the numbers a little funny, maybe a little drunk, um, I, <laughs> Apple is more valuable than any company has ever been. Um, you know, they, they don't have to uh, come right out the gate uh, like, like Google, frankly, does and say, uh, we are, we are going to make, you know, $12 per unit on this. We're going to make absolutely mm-hmm. almost nothing on the margins on this device because we want to, you know, flood the market with them. Apple doesn't have to. They, they know that, you know, people will, will pay a premium. For an Apple product at a smaller form factor, so I think right. we may eventually see the iPad Mini get down lower in price. Um, but I don't; it's going to be a while before I, I before they break the one ninety nine barrier, or even even the two ninety nine one.
1: I, mm, I I would expect, and I'm, I'm this is actually part of why I'm not expecting a Retina screen too soon, because I do think they want that price lower. I think they want to hit. Um, 299 at least. You know they talk about when they hit 199 with the Nano, that's when it really took off. Mm-hmm. Was it 149? Th- there was a price they hit that they realized, oh wow, people really wanted this price. I don't think 329 is that price for an iPad Mini. No. I think it's lower. It might be 249. It might be 299. I w- think they want to drive it down. I'd expect next holiday season we're going to see an iPad Mini that's faster but no Retina screen and cheaper than 329.
2: And I would consider it at that point, well, I but think I'm, that, I'm not buying first generation Apple stuff anymore. Well, oh, sure. I don't blame sure.
3: you. No, and, and the iPad Mini One, the first generation, you know, that we have right now, will by that time be, you know, I don't, I don't want to openly speculate, but it'll, they'll probably drop it down to, two, two twenty nine or some absurd number. They may like do that, that too.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see them shake up, shake up the lineup in the coming year because right now they have way too many products. You know, from the <laughs> the Nano with the touchscreen all the way up to the, the big iPad. I think there's just too many options in there with the iPad 2 still being sold and the iPod Touch having two entirely different SKUs, like one with the big screen, one with the small screen. So I, I think they really need to figure all that out and before holiday next year, really have a solid game plan set up. Okay, I'm going to make myself be the final word there and <laughs> say, let's go ahead and talk about the Comm Badge. Before we wrap uh, up, because I know uh, Michael, you wrote this article and I found it really interesting um, on Pocket Now. Why don't you just pitch to us what the Combadge is?
3: So the deal with the Combadge is: is this a guy uh, in California, uh, Charles, uh, who kind of espouses technology? He, he considers himself a uh, an inventor and a and a technology um, enthusiast. Um, hates Bluetooth headsets. And he also happens to be a fan of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and he happens to be a fan of Siri, which is, as everyone knows, is Apple's uh, you know voice assistant on the iPhone, and their analogs on other manufacturers' phones. And
1: A.K.A. that device I use to set a timer sometimes. <laughs> exactly right.
3: <laughs> that device that I that I try and get to to curse. Um, <laughs> No, but so he decided he was like, well, I hate Bluetooth headsets, but I don't like having my phone around all the time, and I like using Siri. So why can't life just be like what it is in my car when I sit there, the phone is paired to my car, and I'm like, I'm gonna press the button. So he was, but he's also you know a next generation fan. So he's like, Hmm. why can't I just wear a speakerphone?
2: Oh my gosh! I've been. Have you I've been
3: what, dreaming about this? <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, this—this this was my whole focus for the article. And he was kind enough to sit down with me over the phone, and we had a forty-five-minute conversation. And I interviewed him. And yeah, as Greg said, you can—you can read the, the full article at PocketNow.com. But um, it's—you know—it it is a—I forgot the, the exact measurements, but it's basically a badge sized uh, device. It is a cylindrical speakerphone, uh, a little bit larger in diameter, maybe than a uh, than a silver dollar and certainly a lot thicker, but that you wear on your shirt or you wear it on a lanyard or if you're a corporate type, you can clip it to your shirt and it has a badge reel for your for your door opening badge or whatever you guys in offices do. Um, there you go, okay. Yeah, yeah. and it is a, a Bluetooth speakerphone and if you have an incoming call, you can of course tap it to open the channel and have a conversation then tap it again to close the channel. Um, but you can also use it in concert with Siri, you can use it in concert with Google Now. Um, and there there, there will be apps available for both iPhone and Android to control various aspects of it. I think it has some lights in there as well that flash if you're getting a call. Um, you know, it's not in the fashion in the form of the Starfleet insignia or anything like that, but it is an item that's he's looking to offer between 80 and $100. and $100. And as Greg said, you know, Greg's whole point to me when we talked about this briefly was like, so it's basically just a Bluetooth speakerphone. I'm like, yeah, but it's one you can wear. And it's one that brings us a little closer to the to the combadge that I so wanted as a child. Um, so it's it's on Indiegogo right now. If you look at my article or just search for combadge with two M's, which he's put the second M in so that hopefully Paramount CBS doesn't sue him. Uh, <laughs> but he's got a five-person team working on it. He's looking to raise $100,000. Uh, they're on Indiegogo. Um, they have something like 35 days left in their funding campaign. And I really hope he makes it because I would love, love, love to to buy one of these. It sounds like a really cool idea.
1: All right, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Uh, that does sound like a really cool product, and I hope it it goes places. I don't know if I can clip it to my shirt um, at work. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but like I said, we're we're past our time, so I want to thank Drew and Michael for joining me on episode two of the Observation Lounge. Thank you. Greg, yeah, for thanks having for me. having us. And I do want to say Drew can be found on Twitter at 005. That's the word double, the letter O, and the word five. And Michael Fisher can be found on Twitter as well at FatsRikerBeard. That's Fats with an S. And I can be found on Twitter at Greg Harbin. That's G-R-E-G-H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N. Thank you for joining us for the second Observation Lounge. Hope to see you around next week.
2: Meeting a trend.